Welcome to this peer voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash PAG. This activity is supported through an independent medical education grant from ASI Incorporated and MSD. Welcome to this peer voice activity on advanced ovarian cancer. This activity comprises a series of four streaming episodes with Dr. Susanna Banerjee. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, this is Dr. Susanna Banerjee. I'm a consultant medical oncologist at the Royal Marsden NHS Foundation Trust in London, the UK. Welcome to this series of episodes on patients with advanced endometrial carcinoma who progress. Decisions in treatment initiation and optimization. During the four micro episodes, we will look at data that we have leading to the treatment options and review specific challenges of treating patients with advanced endometrial carcinoma. In the first episode, we will overview the treatment options available for patients with advanced or recurrent endometrial carcinoma and focusing on those that have progressed on platinum-based therapies. There's chemotherapy, so platinum-based chemotherapy, also paclitaxel, doxorubicin, for example, hormonal therapy, PD-1 inhibitors, so immunotherapy, and also targeted therapies. What we're going to focus on now is the immunotherapy aspects changing the landscape. And what we see here is the FDA and EMA approvals of three regimens that have transformed the care, dostalimab, pembrolizumab, and pembrolizumab in combination with lenvatinib. So these approvals are for women with advanced or recurrent endometrial carcinoma that have progressed following essentially prior platinum-based therapy. So I'd like to point out that dostalimab is approved as monotherapy. The FDA approval is in the MMR-deficient population of this group. EMA approval is MMR-deficient or MSI-high. And for pembrolizumab, and specifically endometrial carcinoma, it's pembrolizumab monotherapy for MSI-high or MMR-deficient for EMA approval. For FDA approval, very similar, MSI-high or DMMR. And there's also the approval for the tumor mutation burden high. And then finally, pembrolizumab in combination with lenvatinib. FDA approval here is for the MMR proficient population, so no evidence of MSI high or MMR deficiency. And for EMA, it's the approval of pembrolizumab and lenvatinib is irrespective of biomarker status, so all comers. So how did we get to this situation? And in the next few minutes, I'm just going to summarize the highlights of the studies that led to the approval status. So Keynote 158 was a study that looked at pembrolizumab in advanced solid tumors and looking at specifically MSI high, a situation, the response rate was 48% and the median duration response not reached. We can see here that there are many patients that actually can derive some tumor shrinkage from PD-1 inhibitor monotherapy. Now moving on to pembrolizumab, but in combination with lenvatinib, this was the study 309 Keynote 775. This is a randomized phase three study with over 800 patients. And patients were randomized to lenvatinib and pembrolizumab or standard of care chemotherapy, which was doxorubicin or paclitaxel. Patients needed to have one prior platinum-based chemotherapy, and the primary endpoint was progression-free survival. And within this study, there was stratification according to MMR status. 
So let's look at the key results, the updated progression-free survival. In the all-comer population, the median PFS with chemotherapy was 3.8 months and then levatinib and pembrolizumab arm, 7.3 months. Looking now specifically at the PMMR population, that's MMR proficient, PFS 3.8 months, chemotherapy versus 6.7 months with lenfatinib and pembrolizumab. And now looking at response, and that's really important, that again, as you can see, is higher with lenvatinib and pembrolizumab compared to chemotherapy. And to put this into context, we haven't seen these kind of results in advanced metastatic recurrent endometrial carcinoma, and this is non-chemotherapy options. Just to note, in the MMR-deficient population within Keno 775, the median progression-free survival with the combination of lenvatinib and pembrolizumab was 10.7 months versus 3.7 with chemotherapy. Median overall survival was not reached with the combination and was 8.6 months with chemotherapy. This really highlights the prognosis in this difficult-to-treat population. Moving on now to the Garnet study of dostanumab, we see here the results of a phase one study in multiple cohorts. And what I'm going to focus on now is the MMR deficient cohort, which led to the approval of dostanumab. The response rate in the DMMR MSI high group of endometrial carcinoma with 143 patients was 45.5%. As you can see here, the duration of response was not reached. And then when we look at the progression-free survival in the MMR-deficient group, this was six months. And the median overall survival in the DMMR population was not reached. So altogether, these are really encouraging results. We have monotherapy with pembrolizumab, monotherapy with dostanumab, and then the combination of lenvatinib and pembrolizumab. The combination of lenvatinib and pembrolizumab has shown efficacy, in particular, the MMR proficient group. The molecular status now is very important in everyday clinical practice treating women with advanced endometrial carcinoma. So it's key that we check the MMR deficiency status. In one study, around 30% of endometrial cancer had evidence of MSI high status, for example. What we also now know is that tumor mutational burden may identify more women beyond those with MSI high status or MMR deficiency. And so tumor mutational burden may also be an important biomarker going forward. Keynote 158 looked at the association of response with tumor mutation burden. And what we're highlighting is the endometrial cancer cohort here, where you can see that the response rates were higher in women that had high tumor mutation burden. So this is now translated into guidelines for advanced endometrial carcinoma. Here we see the ESMO guidelines integrating molecular classification. And what I'm going to point out to you is the DMMR group of endometrial carcinoma, but also there is the NSMP, the P53 mutated group, and the POE mutated groups. We're in an era of new therapies who have entered our clinics. Immunotherapy has changed the landscape for treating women with advanced recurrent endometrial carcinoma. Very much welcome you to follow me to the next episode where we'll talk about individual cases. Hello, this is Dr. Susanna Banerjee again. In the second episode, we'll focus on a patient with evidence of MMR proficiency, so microsatellite stable disease, PMMR.
This is a 69-year-old lady, BMI 28, in terms of past medical history, was known to have hypertension and was being treated with an ACE inhibitor. This lady was diagnosed with stage 1A, but serous carcinoma. Now, looking at the immunohistochemical staining, the profile was consistent with having MMR intact. So PMMR classification. Patient was initially treated with surgery, and this was followed in view of the risk with platinum-based chemotherapy and radiation. Unfortunately, around seven months later, there was evidence of disease relapse. And this was relapse in more than one area, was nodal metastases, and the patient was treated with doxorubicin. Around three months later, there was evidence of further progression. And we're in the situation where there's now nodal metastases within the abdomen, but also pulmonary metastases. So how do we make a decision at this point? This patient has had platinum-based chemotherapy and also doxorubicin and has widespread disease. So it's important to take multiple factors into consideration. We need to consider what access we have to drugs. We need to discuss this within a multidisciplinary setting and make decisions with patients and counselling them appropriately. Patient education is key here when we're talking about managing new drugs in the clinic and also toxicities. In this situation, and all situations when we're treating patients for new line of therapy, it's important to look at the guidelines we have within our organisations, within our countries, and also international guidelines. So the ESMO guidelines here would show for recurrent metastatic endometrial carcinoma when we're in the situation now of this patient, which is PMMR, microsatellite stable, options that are re-challenged with platinum-based chemotherapy, chemotherapy doxorubicin or paclitaxel, or to think about pembrolizumab lenbatinib. So the patient I've described here, she's already had platinum-based chemotherapy. She's already had doxorubicin. I know that she's MMR proficient, and I'd like to try pembrolizumab lenbatinib. Of note, she does have hypertension, and lenbatinib can contribute to more hypertension. So it's really important that we manage upfront hypertension well before starting lenvatinib with pembrolizumab. Other guidelines which are consistent with the advice I just gave would include the ESGO-ESTRO guidelines and also the NCCN guidelines. So the takeaway message here is that patients do have choice of treatments. There's chemotherapy, hormonal therapy. In our particular patient case, I feel that pembrolizumab and lenvatinib would be an option to consider and to support the patient through that decision. I very much welcome you to follow me to the next episode. So this patient was diagnosed with stage one high-grade endometrioid adenocarcinoma. She was treated with surgery, and this was followed by platinum-based chemotherapy, carboplatin in combination with paclitaxel, and external beam radiotherapy. Around two years later, there was evidence of relapse, and there was lymphadenopathy within the abdomen and pelvis. This was deemed resectable and the patient had secondary surgery and also went on to have carboplatin and paclitaxel following this. Around a, a year later, just under a year, the patient developed lung and liver metastases. And it was at this point that the pathology was reviewed and the MMR deficiency status was looked at. This patient had evidence through immunohistochemistry of MMR deficiency. So how are we going to treat this patient now? It's really important to consider multiple factors 
and the choices we have, access to drugs, patient desires of the treatment, side effects of treatment so far, a multidisciplinary approach. So here we're looking at the ESMO guidelines for this situation. And in for patients that are MMR deficient, MMSI high, options include chemotherapy, rechallenging platinum-based treatment, doxorubicin, and paclitaxel. And with the new approvals that I've just discussed, options include dostalinab, pembrolizumab, or pembrolizumab with lenvatinib. This is also outlined in the ESGO-ESTRO ESP guidelines. For this particular patient with MMR deficient and MSI high status, I would choose PD-1 inhibitor monotherapy. In terms of access, where I work in England, I'd be offering this patient dostalimab. The take-home message here is for patients with recurrent advanced metastatic endometrial carcinoma following platinum-based therapy that have MMR deficiency or MSI high status, consider immunotherapy. So PD-1 inhibitors alone, dostalimab or pembrolizumab, and in relevant countries where there's approval for combination, that can be considered. Very much welcome you to follow me to the next episode. In this fourth episode, we will focus on the adverse events and toxicities that can occur with these newer treatments in the clinic. So let's remind ourselves of our initial case. This was a case of MMR proficient relapse endometrial carcinoma, and my recommendation was for consideration of pembrolizumab with lenvatinib. We've seen the efficacy already. Now we're going to focus on the toxicities to look out for when we're in the clinic. So looking at grade three toxicities with lenvatinib and pembrolizumab, 39% experienced hypertension, around 10% had weight decrease, 7% decreased appetite, 8% grade 3 diarrhea, and around 1.5% hypothyroidism. Arthralgia was around 32%, fatigue 34%, and hypothyroidism and diarrhea over 50%. Nausea is also something that we need to counsel patients about. If we look about how that translates into dose reductions and interruptions, dose interruptions were 72%, dose reductions around 67%, and treatment discontinuation was around 40%. If we look more closely for discontinuations due to lenvatinib, that was about 35%, pembrolizumab 22%, and both lenvatinib and pembrolizumab 16%. So when do these toxicities happen? Well, for many of the patients within this trial, it was within the initial treatment. So within the first few weeks of starting lenvatinib and pembrolizumab, this is where we have to support patients most and consider the dose interruptions and dose reductions. So as I mentioned before, multidisciplinary management is key. So some of the side effects that I've mentioned already may well require input from gastroenterology experts, endocrinology experts, for example, and skin experts. So the side effects of immunotherapy are quite different to chemotherapy. This is because immunotherapy works by increasing the activity of the immune system. So thyroid dysfunction, diarrhea, rash are the most frequent reported immune-related adverse events that we see with anti-PD-1 therapy. And most of these can be managed with immunomodulatory agents, most commonly corticosteroids, 
And the endocrine-related adverse events can require supportive care with the hormone replacement therapy, for example, replacement of thyroid hormone. Now, hypertension can be managed with antihypertensive agents. We need to monitor for this and institute agents and see how this can be controlled. Hypothyroidism, it's important to check the thyroid function whilst on treatment and treat with replacement of thyroid hormone. For diarrhea, it's important to exclude colitis. It's important to exclude infection. Loperamide can be used and also considering dose interruptions and dose reductions. Fatigue can be a real problem. We need to exclude reversible causes, other causes such as anemia. Exercise can be helpful as a management plan for fatigue. This could be drug-related. It's important to make sure it's not due to an immune-related side effect, for example, causing low cortisol levels. Hypothyroidism can cause fatigue. And then once this has been established, also thinking about manipulation of the dose of treatment. Let's remind ourselves of our second case, a patient with MSI high, MMR deficient endometrial carcinoma, who has progressed on a platinum-containing regimen. I'd use dostalimab monotherapy in this situation. Within the Garnet study, the grade three treatment emergent adverse events was around 56%, but treatment leading to discontinuation was very low, 8%, and there were no treatment-related adverse events leading to death. Fatigue, diarrhea, nausea, and weakness were key side effects to be looking out for. In terms of grade three, that was anemia and also liver function disturbances. Pneumonitis occurred as well and was rare. These are all class effects of immunotherapy. If we look into these side effects in a bit more detail and how to treat them, hypothyroidism in general within the Garnet study, which was of over 600 patients, it was experienced in about 7%. In all patients, the maximum grade was grade two. This was dostalimab related. All but one patient was treated with thyroid and hormone replacement therapy. And resolution of hypothyroidism occurred in 37% of patients. 47% of patients who were considered to have resolution continued with thyroid replacement therapy. Now, as for the liver function disturbances, ALT increase was around 4%, AST 4%. For most patients, these were grade two events, but half the patients had grade three events for ALT increase, and around 41% had grade three AST increase. So how was this managed? This was managed for some patients with steroids, and most had resolution. So with ALT increase, resolution occurred in 84% of patients and with similar frequency, whether they were on steroids or not. And for the AST increase, resolution occurred in 50% of patients and the higher frequency was in those treated with steroids, so 75% with steroids. Finally, pneumonitis, very rare, 2.3%. For most patients, this was treated with steroids. One patient required infliximab. And resolution occurred in almost 80% of patients and primarily in those that were treated with steroids. So to conclude, with toxicities, we need to preempt these. We need to check for these in the clinics. We need to counsel our patients well. For toxicities with lenvatinib and pembrolizumab, these may occur early. 
But with immunotherapy in general, these can also occur later on during the course of treatment and also after stopping treatment. We need to tailor the management according to the manifestations of the side effects involving a multidisciplinary team. Thank you for your attention. This has been an activity published by Pure Voice.